Do you enjoy listening to On the Ear but wish you could earn ASHA CEUs for it? Start today. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of audio courses on demand with an average of 19 new audio courses released each month. And here's the best part. Each episode earns you ASHA continuing ed credits. Oh, no, wait. This is the best part. As a listener of On the Ear, you can receive $20 off an annual subscription when you use code EAR21. Just head to SpeechTherapyPD.com to sign up and use code EAR21, E-A-R-2-1, for $20 off your annual subscription. You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Because audiologists and speech-language pathologists typically start with the same undergraduate major, we see a lot of overlap between the disciplines. When asked, a lot of audiologists, myself included, will say one of the reasons they were drawn to audiology over speech was the rapidly advancing and life-changing technology involved in the field. I was always the family member who set up the gadgets, and audiology is full of gadgets. However, our SLP friends also work with some pretty incredible technology sometimes in the world of augmentative and alternative communication, or AAC. Today's excellent guest is going to break down all things AAC for us, and we are so excited to have him. Stephen Neese, MACCC SLP, is a certified speech-language pathologist and ATAAC consultant working and living in Aiken, South Carolina. He is currently an SLP for Aiken County Public School District, the president of the South Carolina Speech and Hearing Association, the founder and CEO of Speech and Language Songs. I'm excited to talk about that with him today, and an adjunct instructor at the University of South Carolina. He's also a graduate of the ASHA Leadership Development Program. We are going to have such a fun conversation. I'm so excited to learn more about AAC. Thank you so much for joining me, Stephen. No problem, Dakota. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of want to just get going out of the gate. I've got a lot of questions for you. I got a lot to learn here. Okay. I hope I have some answers. I think you do. So something I think is kind of surprising. So like I mentioned, we kind of start in the same undergraduate major of communication disorders for the most part in the CSD world. I don't think I had a class on AAC or like this realm of speech. So how did you learn about AAC? What drew you to that kind of specific discipline in speech? And how did you learn more about it? Sure. Yeah. And as a same as you, I didn't really have any uh, background in it uh, after I even graduated with my master's. We didn't have a course in it. I don't even think we had a day. You know, we didn't talk about it really hardly at all. I think it was mentioned in one of our classes, but we really didn't talk about it much. And I graduated uh, about eight years ago. So at that point in time, we didn't really have anything going on there. It really came slowly. So I worked in the schools. I've been working in the schools for eight years. As you were saying, you started off talking about uh, technology and you're just 
innate interest in it. And I think I kind of share that with you. So I was always kind of drawn to it. And so when I was voluntold to uh, <laughs> oversee the uh, AT department a few years ago, and I think that was really a blessing because I found something that I was really, really interested in and uh, that, that I continued to get excited about. So it was something that I kind of got pushed into for at first, and then I immediately started to uh, gravitate towards it. And I've really been focusing on it ever since that has occurred. Then the past three years solely just being an ATAAC consultant. Prior to that, I was kind of like overseeing the, the SLPs within the district and doing a little bit of overseeing the AT department as well. So, but now I get to focus fully on that, which I'm really glad I did or get to do that. So I really didn't have any coursework. So I was really on the job, figuring it out. I went to uh, ATIA. I've been to ATIA a couple of different times. That is the Assistive Technology International Association. They have a, a conference every year down in Orlando, Florida, and it's amazing. So I, I definitely recommend it if anybody has any interest in that area. So I went down there, I've gone there, pretty much every year they've had it. Obviously, this past year, they did not have it in person uh, due to COVID-19. But other than that, I've been there. So I'm learning on the job, learning through uh, coursework like that. I listen to podcasts like Talking With Tech, uh, Chris Bougay, Rachel Madel, really good podcast that focuses on AAC. So just kind of through the years of figuring it out, reading, listening, and things like that. Really cool. Okay, so could you tell me then, could you break down just a little bit of if someone, you met a stranger on the street who's like, you work in AAC, what in the world is AAC? Like, what's your elevator pitch for, for what it is that you do? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we really are trying to leverage technology that we have available to help people communicate. Communication is such a big deal for us as human beings. Uh, without communication, life is very, very different and uh, a lot less enjoyable. So, we really want to look at how can I, we use technology that we have currently available to allow someone to communicate as most efficiently as possible. I would say that probably would be my elevator pitch. I never thought about it like that before, but I guess that that's it. <laughs> Um, so I use technology to help people speak, help people communicate. Gotcha. Cool. So what does that look like? Can you break it down a little bit further than from the elevator to, I don't know, I guess we're, we're, we're going to lunch then. It's not as quick as the elevator. I get, I get a little bit more <laughs> okay, time. Wow. To, yeah. So I got some more time it. now. Yes. We really look at, and, and this is one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing this. One of the reasons why I probably will be doing it for many, many, many years to come, uh, just kind of this little niche of speech language pathology, is because each of those situations is a problem-solving opportunity. So each of these individuals are very unique. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution whatsoever. So we really go into a comprehensive evaluation and have to look at all these different pieces and something that I obviously you and your listeners are familiar with. We work, uh, team up with OTs, PTs, ATPs, but also teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing and audiologists. Audiologists a little more indirectly. You know, we're getting evaluation from them, but we need to ensure that the client that we're working with is aided appropriately. All that is, their hearing is fixed in a certain way that we can move on from that. So that's one of those pieces to it. And it's a multidisciplinary team that I have to work with to figure out each of these problems. And obviously, y'all are one of those team members. It's not always the case because in the majority of my evaluations are, it's a box. Is there, did they pass their hearing screen? Yes. Okay, we're moving on. But when, when the answer is no, <laughs> then we have to keep that in mind and match the features up based on that. So that's a really big deal. 
So uh, we kind of go through a comprehensive evaluation, and one of the big things that we have to look at is access methods. So looking at how are they going to actually use this device. So that's going to be super, super important because efficiency has to come into play there. Obviously, all right, so speech is going to be the most efficient. Then we kind of peel back from there. Are they literate? Because text-to-speech is going to be the next level of efficiency. Okay, no, that's not the case. We're actually going to be, there may be a child, like I work with, obviously, children within the school district, so working with a four-year-old or something like that. Obviously, we can't go to the, just slap them on a Microsoft Word or something and uh, text-to-speech. <laughs> Good, you know, we, we have solved the problem. So obviously not. So we have to kind of go deeper into it. So we're going to use a device. So now we have to figure out, okay, what is going to be the access method for them? And so there's a bunch of different ones. How are they going to actually interact with that technology? And this could be low, mid, or high-tech, but typically we're looking at a robust vocabulary system. So it's going to be high-tech. That's what we're trying to get to. Well, that's what we really want is somebody. And the whole reason for that, obviously, is so they can say what they want to say whenever they want to say it. We don't want to do things like PECs or just a, a small communication board that has a handful of things on it. Obviously, that limits them in what they want to be able to communicate. And obviously, communication is a human right. So we want to be able to give them that opportunity to say whatever they want to say when they want to say it. And that's something we call in our little tiny, tiny niche is a snug. It's a spontaneous novel utterance generation. So they can do it whenever and they can make up new ones if they want to. You know, they can put words together that I wouldn't have thought that they wanted to say. You know, kids say things that I have no idea that they were going to say all of the time, which is great because they know how to use their device. Anyway. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Wrap, wrap myself back in here. So we're looking at uh, access methods. So that's where I kind of jumped off there and went on a tangent. So the most efficient thing outside of what I said earlier, speech, and then looking at text-to-speech using a keyboard. Okay, we already ruled that out. So we're moving down the line here. Direct selection is going to be the most efficient next option. And that is just using your finger typically and just selecting icons on a device. But it doesn't have to be your finger. Uh, direct selection could be a toe or something like that as well. So there's a guy that I've seen speak a few times. His name is uh, Chris Klein, and he is an AAC user. And he uses his big toes. I think he uses both big toes to select icons because of his motor capabilities with his arms. He's not able to do that. So uh, toes were the best access method for him. All right, so we kind of went through... Uh, uh, direct selection there. All right, so let's say we're working with the OT and the PT. Like, no, direct selection is really not going to be efficient. They fatigue very easily or they don't have the motor control to do that. Okay, so what's next? And we have a handful of other options that we look into, which is cool because like not that many years ago, if they weren't able to do that, it's over. You know, we don't have the uh, opportunity to, or the technology, especially read readily available. Anyway, so we have all these different access methods. Yeah. So eye gaze technology would be one, infrared sensing or head tracking. And a little aside there is iPad uh, access. Apple is doing a really good job of making things very, very accessible. So any iPad that you have has head tracking built in now. And that started probably like a year ago or something wow. around there, maybe a year or two as when it started rolling out. So it makes it way more accessible. So infrared sensing or head tracking is another thing. And sometimes you'll see people with a dot here or glasses with a dot on it. And that is helping the head tracking. So there, that infrared sensor can 
that pick up on that. And so the way that iPad does it, it actually leverages your uh, facial ID, that which a lot of people probably already use. So they leverage that technology and they can actually just see where the face is and then you can control a cursor based on your head movement so you don't have to have a, a dot or anything, a reflective dot or anything like that. So infrared sensing, head tracking, joystick and alternative mouse would be another access method we would look into. Again, we have to look at motor skills and see. So we had, uh, I'm working with a kiddo right now, cerebral palsy. Direct selection was not an option. His, little, his spasticity was not allowing him to directly select. So we're like, okay, let's try a joystick. And again, I'll, I'll be on a fanboy, I guess, of uh, Apple here because they have made it very easy to uh, attach joysticks to iPads as well now. So that came right at the same time similar time as the head tracking thing. So they are really doing a good job with this. So a joystick or alternative mouse. So we can start there. And so with this individual, we actually had a large foam ball, again, working with my OTATP friend to figure out what's the best solution here. So we have big foam ball onto this joystick that he can manipulate. It's like, okay, this is the most efficient access method for him. All right, so joystick and alternative mouse, that's another option. All right, then we keep going down here, single and multiple switch controls. And you may have seen people use switches to control devices as well. We always want to try to get multiple switches. Okay, let's say we have ruled out all of these. We're going switches. So if you can use multiple switches to control a device, then you want to. If you can't, then of course you will use single switches and that's fine, but multiple is going to be much more efficient. So if you think about it, so let's just think about just regular switches. We can just buttons, nothing fancy about those, just for now. So if I have multiple switches, think about an AAC device, basically a grid of icons. If I have multiple ones, I can use one as selecting, okay, I want this row, and now I want this icon. You can just tap, 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 and get to what you want to do, and then use the other button to actually select it. So if you only had one single switch, then you're going to have to use scanning. So you're going to have to use auto scanning. So it's like, and then you have to talk about dwell time. It's like, how long is it going to stick on these columns or rows and then you hit it's like okay I want that column and then we're gonna go across hit the icons and okay I'm gonna select that oh I missed it and now we're gonna have to wait for it to reset and go back to the top yeah and so that's the reason why we would prefer multiple switches that if it is possible because just the efficiency again it, we're trying to figure out for as far as access method what is the most efficient mode of using these devices because if th- this is what they're going to use to communicate we want them to be able to do it very quickly and without fatigue because like okay I got a sentence done it was it took me an hour and now I'm going to lay down you know I'm done communicating I'm done communicating now yeah I'm done. Ex- exactly so of course that's not the case we want to make sure it's efficient and then you go into the the weeds and tell me if I get too deep into the weeds and you no 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 we love the weeds here reel me back in Switches, you have all kind of different types of switches within there. Your typical buttons that you see. Then you have things that are like pneumatic grip switches, again, uh, depending on their fine motor capabilities. 
And you have to really kind of problem solve here too, again, which is a cool part of this. You're really figuring out what's the best thing for, so uh, a pneumatic or a grip switch where you just press it and it has a device that actually senses the air pushing through it. And that's the, their method of selection. There are a lot of things like just pressure sensitivity that changes the pressure. There's even like, it senses uh, water, it senses a uh, liquid. So if you use your tongue and tap it, it can actually sense that. And that's like the smallest of movements there yeah oh my goodness even like eye twitches or uh, using your cheek muscles to uh, activate it you can do stuff like that and even if you can use your arms but you can actually press down there's some that are called proximity switches you just have to get close to it so you're moving your hand to it but you don't actually have to depress it you don't have actually have to touch it and there's some like laser beams and all these different things you can use electromyography emg is -hmm. another one so that and you probably are familiar with that So if you think about using your muscles, so it's sending electrical impulses to that muscle, and then it can sense that electrical impulse, even if you're not actually engaging that muscle. So you can use EMGs for switches and a combination of all of these. So there's some situations where people are using eye gauge technology, but they're also filtering through things with just a typical switch, and then they have an EMG on their other arm. So they're having like three different access methods all in one because that was what the team determined to be their most efficient way of selecting. And then there's some stuff which is kind of a cool thing that you probably have heard of is uh, brain-computer interfaces. I was going to have to ask about that. Yeah, I was, I okay, was wondering yeah. if we were going to get there. <laughs> yeah, we, we got there pretty quick. Um, so, uh, <laughs> like a Neuralink and things like that. I mean, that's obviously that's not something that we are functionally putting into place right now. There's a lot of research, a lot of cool stuff outside of Neuralink, like EEG and things like that. So, you're not, not as invasive, not uh, cutting a hole into your skull, but uh, EEG and things like that that are used, but they aren't commonly used in practice that I've seen. The technology is, isn't quite quite there, very expensive, not reliable at this point in time, but it is promising. You know, think of what 20 years could do. I mean, look look back 20 years and how far we've come. So it's uh, super interesting to see. Um, So that's really kind of the gist of it as far as access methods. So we kind of, that's going to be a big part of it. We're going to lean on those OTs, PTs, ATPs to figure out what makes the most sense. And then we start looking at individual applications and then we start talking about linguistics and things like that. So it's like, is this kiddo, what is this client, what is this adult ready for? So we have to look at all of the different features that these different applications have and try to match them to that individual. So it's a, a process called feature matching that we talk about. And you can really talk about the hearing as far as like the device doesn't have a external speaker, does it have Bluetooth uh, capabilities and things like that. So that's something that, again, I don't really think about a ton because it's typically not uh, an issue that I have to deal with working with a teacher of deaf and hard of hearing. So kind of rely on them to kind of chime in with that. But uh, back to like the feature matching as far as the linguistics piece of it. So there's really like three subsets that I think of when you talk about AAC apps. It's really a kind of a semantic group 
as, as far as how they organize. Semantic, syntactic, and then kind of a mixture of the two. And I really like to look at, and tell me if you've heard of these or want more explanation. So like uh, LAMP, Words for Life, would be more of a semantic one. And LAMP is an acronym that stands for Language Acquisition Through Motor Planning. So everything's grouped by how, what it means. So they use this thing called semantic compactions. Like this picture can mean a bunch of different things. So it's under this picture. And sometimes people think, I don't even understand. It's a little, it can be a little abstract. Okay. Again, it's a back to the efficiency thing. So they have to organize all these in a certain way and they don't want to reduplicate. So they don't want to have bear in 17 different places within the app. They want it in one place. And so you remember that and you have that motor plan to get there. So again, language acquisition through motor planning. And that's just muscle memory is what motor planning is. And you can think about your keyboard. You know, if I took your keyboard and I just shuffled all the uh, keys around, you'd have obviously a pretty difficult time typing anything. And that's the whole idea. So motor planning. So you have that semantic organization and that's really lamp words for life is a really good example of that. And then on the other side of things, you have a whole uh, subset of applications that are syntactically organized, which is really cool because if you have a, a client that really has a lot of linguistic capabilities and they're building long sentences, you probably want to lean towards one of these and touch chat HD with word power is a really, really good example of that because it has, is predictive. So I hit I, then it knows what subset of words would come next. So it's kind of predicting what you're going to say. So I want, and it's like, okay, he said I want, so I'm going to show you these items or whatever. And it kind of can predict everything going on there. And also it has like a keyboard embedded in it. And also, so it has sentence prediction, but also word prediction in there too. So you start typing something out and it gives you a bunch of options that you can choose. So again, you have to kind of consider literacy in here too. You know, sure, can, sure. How, how well can they read? How well can they spell a little bit enough to actually get some word prediction going? So again, that's another thing that you have to think about. So all these different features. So it's really kind of complicated to get to the best one, the most efficient one for each of these individuals. So we have semantic organization and on the other side, syntactic organization. And then you have a few that are kind of in between, something like prolo quote to go is kind of a hybrid it's kind of it just feels like it's in between it does a little bit of syntactic kind of prediction not really prediction but it kind of sets you up to make a sentence a little easier than a, a one that's like lamp words for life but it's not really doing the prediction part of it and then they allow for things to be in multiple places to make the access a little easier so it's kind of in between so that's another piece of it you've got to think about access method then you have to think about the individual app and think about all the different features it has and what's the best one for that kid or for I keep saying kid but I mean for but yeah. for the adult yeah. as well it's just the world that I, I live in sure, um, sure. Is, a, is working with the school age kiddos is it a lot of trial and error to to get to that point or like how do yeah. you how do you know I mean because I'm sure new apps come out all the time and it's like if it's gonna you have all of these yeah. different factors that could be impacting that I mean I mean, I get, well, you probably have a pretty good catalog. You're like, okay, I know, okay, we have a sense of your linguistic capabilities. We have a sense of your, you know, whatever your access method is going to be. It kind of narrows it down a little bit, but still there's got to be some trial and error there, right? 
No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So we really start with a pretty comprehensive ATE valve. We, we make people fill out all of this information, which is, is laborious on their end sometimes. But then we can... They don't have their device yet, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So the team, we're asking the team to fill out all of this information and kind of give us all this information beforehand. Oh, gotcha. So then we can, like you were saying, kind of get a gist of it. It's like, okay, we're going to go this route. But I'm not really making a guess based on those ATE valves. We, we, that is a starting point. We, we, we establish a baseline and we really figure out, okay, where we're going to go next. And within our school district, we require at least three trials. So we do three completely different trials. And that's just a minimum, really. So this is a, a dynamic assessment that is ongoing. So we're taking a very long time to figure each of these things out. Yeah. But uh, we do a minimum of three trials and we typically are looking at lamp, touch chat, proloquo to go. That's kind of just our uh, basic package. But then it's like we did lamp and that was not good. <laughs> you know, that was not a good fit. What, Whatever. <laughs> But we know the syntactic, you know, the sentence prediction, that's not going to fly either. And then we start taking some detours. Okay, but I know this app may have that feature that we want, or maybe this one. I was like, he's fairly literate. His literacy skills are going to continue to increase. Let's start with touch chat. Okay, he's not, he's actually more literate than we thought. Let's actually move on to something like Proloquo for text. And Proloquo for text is a really straight up, very powerful text to speech app. You know, and then you can store a bunch of phrases and words and things like that. It's like we really are going to be pushing literacy with this kiddo. So by the time they learn how to use the icons, that app, you know, he's going to be way more literate. So let's just hitch our wagon to Proloquo for text or using something like, and then cost comes in. You know, that's a very expensive app, but Microsoft Word is very available. We could go there. It's like, okay, Microsoft Word is going to be a really easy thing. And then we talk about access method again. Oh, they can actually type fairly well, you know, but their their skills aren't quite there. But anyway, to answer your question, we do a ton of trialing. We, we make some guesses as far as where are we going to start? Because we can't try all of these different things for every single, we, you know, our evaluations take five years on average you know, yeah. or something like that, you know. So we have to make some of our best guesses and then we learn from the trials that we do. But we always trial at least three things because a lot of times kids can kids and adults can surprise you and you like mm, I didn't think that has happened a ton I didn't think that was going to be a great fit but and it's kind of interesting because even preference comes into play sometimes it's like this four-year-old hated lamp and they love Proloquo. I don't know if it's the symbol set that they just like. They like the interface. They just like it better. But we're having success with it. You know, I thought it was going to be LAMP. It's not. It's Proloquo. So, so sometimes that comes into play as well. I'm curious with some of these, like a lot of these children are exposed to probably more text than another child would be, right? Do you find that their literacy kind of is accelerated? Because let's say you start with one of the apps that's a little bit more literacy based you're like, they might do okay with this, but their literacy isn't quite there. They're pretty young. Do you find that because they're in this technology all the time and relying on it to communicate that their literacy kind of like takes off a little bit because of that exposure? Sure. It, it really depends. Yeah, that, that is a, a lot of cases. If they're using it with fidelity and if we're like comparing that same kiddo without it, I think that them using the device is definitely taking their literacy because- Wow. Yeah. The thing is, they're being exposed to it. They're reading these words because it's not just icons. It's icons paired with words, typically. And some of these sight words, like can and things like that. Sure. 
they really don't have a, most of them don't really have symbols paired with that. So they end up learning those side words because they understand, they see these images, and, but like DNA or just the words, and then they memorize those. So, yeah. uh, so you're exactly right. But again, it has to be done with fidelity. They have to be actually using the application. Sure. But if that is the case, then yes, the answer is definitely. How cool. It can be a, a way of increasing their uh, literacy skills. Yeah. Could you could you break down a little bit who nowadays is like a typical AAC candidate, whether in the pediatric world or in the adult world? Like who, what kind of kid or adult are we seeing here? So I'll, I'll start with adults and kind of, or excuse me, kids and then kind of go up from there. Uh, so uh, kiddos with uh, autism, like I, I work with a lot of kiddos with autism, intellectual disabilities, cerebral palsy. And so those are kind of a big grouping right there. Yeah. And you have to think about each of those individuals differently. Cerebral palsy, linguistically, they uh, may be within normal limits. And this is uh, just a motoric issue. So then we're talking about, okay, what's the best access? That's when you really kind of start digging into access methods. And we need to make make sure they have it because they have a lot to say. Let's make it most efficient for them. So those are three uh, big groups there. A small group, but it's still prevalent, is uh, selective mutism. So that has been a subset that we've kind of worked with and we really try to pair that kind of with a multifaceted team so working with counselors to maybe see okay what is underlying this selective mutism and then use AAC as a potential bridge to get to the other side of this you know I mean that's what we would like to see happen you know so they sure uh, are actually speaking but in between those uh, time periods uh, use that as a bridge so that's a little small little grouping but I mean we see those kiddos every single year uh, wow. that they pop up so we're we're continuing to work with those kiddos. So more so on the adult side, we're looking at more degenerative diseases, multiple sclerosis, ALS and mitrophic lateral sclerosis, Parkinson's, Huntington's. So that those are some big groups there. That's definitely not the entire list. There's a, plenty of other degenerative diseases that metorically may be deteriorating, but their brain is still there. Their ling- linguistic skills are still there, and we just need some type of technology to be able to get that out for them. So that's kind of the group there that we work with a good bit. Interesting. Interesting. And that makes a lot of sense to me too. Previously, I was in a children's hospital setting and it was a fellow ATAAC guy. He was right next door to audiology and there was some overlap between patients. And I really want to get to that too, is sort of like where that overlap happens. But I got to, I get to get, see a little bit of insight there. And I do think a lot of his caseload was uh, children with autism and several children with cerebral palsy and like, you know, kind of special motorized wheelchair setups and they had I really thought it was interesting sometimes they had like their motorized wheelchair but also like a branched arm that was also kind of attached to the chair in a really interesting way to give good access to that depending on I guess whatever their method of access was so that was that was a really cool to see but I can just imagine how creative you have to get sometimes because the needs here are just so vastly different across anyone who might qualify for one of these devices it's really interesting yeah, absolutely. And that's a really interesting story The you know, the craned out arm or the little goosenecks. And then they have a, uh, yeah, because we could have uh, set up a switch and they decided that next to their head was the best uh, option for one of the switches, maybe the other side. And we've, I've seen uh, kiddos using like switches on their legs. So they are using their legs going out with, you know, on the side of their leg next to their knee, going out for one switch and then in for the other switch, because that was their only reliable point of access so that it is really neat and again 
have to rely on all these different team members because I wouldn't have came up with that myself. You know, it's like, OTPT, we need you to help us out. And then these guys that we work with every once in a while, ATPs, these, they're kind of, they know a lot about the technology. They know a lot about the switches and the mounts. They can be really, really helpful to work with as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, question for you. More of a, this is me ha- having a consultation with you. Okay, <laughs> I, had a, okay. I had a kiddo this week. He wears uh, bilateral implants okay. and he is six and he he has some other developmental things going on. I'm not too sure. He's not really my patient. I was just kind of stepping in for somebody, but this family speaks Spanish in the home and he doesn't really have any kind of expressive language that I was aware of in the time that I saw him. And I asked mom about that and I was like, are you guys learning sign or does he have an AAC device? Like, how is he communicating with you? at home. And mom said in Spanish through an interpreter. So maybe there was some like, I'm not sure how much there's a little bit of breakdown, but she said he had one through school. He really liked it. It was working for a while. And then he was, he figured out how to get into YouTube on his iPad for his AAC. And then they had to take it away from him. And then they would give it back to him, but he always got back in somehow. Like he's just one of those kids who knows how to navigate. Even when things are locked, he just knows. So I'm curious, do you do you deal with that? And what do you guys do? Because I know kids, I mean, they just are mind boggling how much more they know about technology than I do. And I, I work with it all the time. It's just so innate to them. So what do you do in these situations? Yeah, yeah, no, we that that is constant. <laughs> we constantly have issues with this. So yeah, we we get calls like oh, we don't know what happened. The app is gone. Uh, the screen is screen is green now, and that's all we can say. We're like okay, so we'll go, go and pick it up. So we try to hammer into the teams like guided access, keep guided access on all the yeah. time. And I know I know you have some young kids, so you probably throw on guided access to make sure. All right, you're in this app. Slap it on. You cannot get out of it. Make sure they do not know the the passcode <laughs> to yeah. guided access, so they cannot get out of guided access. And still, it still happens. So they can close out the iPad and just do a hard reset real quick, and then they're out of guided access. So and kids figure that out, and so they do that screen time using those features. We're really trying to get uh, this system called uh, JAMF going within our school district. We're almost there. We're, we're really working on it. And hopefully uh, next year we'll have it really going. Uh, so JAMF is kind of a cool thing. It really comes in to help us after all that has gone down. So we'll, we'll okay. try to use guided access and the screen time features to kind of restrict as much as possible. They have a lot of restrictions under the screen time option. So try to go there. And so they don't really have anything that they can... Uh, do maybe take the Wi-Fi completely off of. We downloaded the app. It's there. Wi-Fi's gone too. So we've done all these different things, put in airplane mode, things like that. And still things things continue to happen regardless. So I don't know if there's a foolproof way of doing it. We can we have figured we've sat down and figured out all the different steps. All right, this is the most lockdown possible and it still, sure. still still occurs sometimes. And so the jamf thing is a really cool thing because I can from a distance, I can own my computer right now as long as the iPad's connected to Wi-Fi. So I guess they I would have to get them to connect it back to Wi-Fi if I cut it off. Um, then I could do a reset for that. Sometimes kids change the passcode and then we can't oh, get in the gosh. iPad. Any. And they, the kid don't, doesn't even know what no, uh, no. the passcode is. They didn't do it on purpose. So no one knows the passcode. We, and previously we had to send it back to Apple. And that was like a six-month yeah. process of, okay, yeah, get the passcode off of it. 
gosh. But uh, so Jamf, what we can do is go in and just manually say, boop, take the passcode off. I'm going to delete this app, and I can do that from a distance. So we're, we're almost there, and I suggest any teams that are doing something similar, deploying uh, iPads with AAC apps to have s- Jamf or something similar so you yeah. have that backup. Have all those guided access, because that stops a lot. That's, that does stop a ton. Just have all those things in place and then have a backup that you can, uh, uh, from a distance, fix some things. I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of guided access. We use an iPad. There's a few tests we do in audiology where the child just has to sit still for like a minute or so and sit still and quiet, I should say, and guided access on an iPad and just pulling up a YouTube video or, you know, some kind of letter game. And then they can't really tap anything or, you know, that you can select parts of the screen that they can tap just to progress through things. But so they feel like they have a little bit of control over it. But wow, every time I pull that up with a parent, it's like mind blowing. And they're like, wait, yeah, (laughs) they could use my phone and like not mess with everything. I'm like, yes, they can. So yeah, huge proponent. Anyone listening out there who works with children, guided access is your friend. (laughs) Yeah, no no doubt. No doubt. So let's, so let me ask you then a little bit about your experience. If you've had children with hearing loss on your caseload, what does that look like? What kind of condition are you usually seeing? I mean, I know I definitely have children on my caseload who have hearing loss and autism, hearing loss and CP. I have a young girl who has hearing loss secondary to meningitis. And so she exhibits a lot of like nonverbal abilities. So I'm curious what your experience has been in that realm and kind of like how you've navigated that. Sure. A lot of things that you just mentioned paired with autism, CP, but also a, a list of syndromes that one kid I, I saw yesterday, Kabuki syndrome was the syndrome and Rett syndrome. There's a handful of other syndromes that we, we've seen throughout the years that are kiddos that are nonverbal, but also they have hearing loss. And again, and I'll kind of repeat the same thing I said earlier, I'm leaning on those other team members, the teacher of deaf and hard of hearing to make sure we're good. Sure. Did you read the audiogram correctly? Is he, you know, aided appropriately? Do we have what in the classroom that he needs as far he or she needs sound field systems and things like that? Um, is there a way to, do we need anything as far as AAC to ensure that they can hear? Because I mean, the auditory feedback is obviously extremely important for them as well. So then I said that earlier a little bit about external speaker because we have worked with companies that an AAC device comes with an external speaker, which can make it five times as loud as just the internal speaker for an iPad because it gets kind of loud. But in a classroom, when a lot of ambient noises are going on, kids, teacher, then it's like, okay, you can't hear this iPad whatsoever. So that's kind of typically what we consider. But again, we, we have good team members that we lean on to ensure that we are good to go in that kind of realm. Gotcha. I have a kiddo on my caseload. He has, he had a history of cancer and he's pretty immunocompromised and he did a year or two of school where he was remoted in, this is pre everybody remoting into school, right? but where he was remoted into room. school, he was kind of on a tablet on a stick on wheels. He was at home. Yeah. I never got to see that play out, but he, he talks about it so fondly. Like he really thought it was the funniest thing. He loves it. So I'm curious, is that kind of something that would fall into your scope? Is that a different person at the school? Cause that is like an assistive technology, but not yeah. necessarily just communication. I'm curious about that. Yeah. uh, And so we've had that situation and I didn't really, I didn't really have much to do with it. I'm doing like more AAC stuff at this point in time. We have an AT lead who kind of handles a little more of that kind of stuff. And most of the time my head's down doing AT evals, trying to serve kids and things like that. So I know that occurred a few years ago, almost the exact same thing that you were referring to. Uh, It was an, it was immunocompromised. It had nothing to do with, was way, way, way before COVID. Immunocompromised. I don't know the details of the situation 
situation, but they kind of were, they were running around. They were controlling it uh, from home. Yeah. Yeah, they, he could roll around the room. I mean, yeah, he was fully in control of it. It's really cool. Yeah, it was the same deal. Yeah. It was iPad, uh, wheels on it, and I saw it. But uh, technology, because we have we have ed tech, we have IT, instructional technology within our school district, which is a little bit different, which is kind of confusing sometimes. And then you have AT. So we have three different settings, and I think that was under IT, instructional technology, kind of gotcha. ran point okay. on that because it wasn't even... I don't think like the child did not have an IEP or anything like that. So, you know, it's oh, kind of I one see. of those technical yeah, things yeah, yeah. like, it, now this is yours, which I would have been glad to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, yeah. I was Another asked, cool but, gadget to check out or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, that would have been fun. But yeah, yeah so I have heard, a, heard, heard of that situation. It's kind of interesting. Sure. Okay. Another question I had for you, because I know you mentioned that the apps can be really expensive. I mean, iPads, fortunately, tablets in general are becoming more and more inexpensive, but they're still not like very cheap. You know, they can be pretty cost prohibitive for a lot of people. And I know that the technology that these apps that are being used are probably extremely expensive. And then I guess the more advanced in terms of technology that you need, or I guess the more complex access method in terms of joysticks and these kinds of things sound pretty expensive too. I'm curious because I know you're in the school system and one of the really frustrating things in audiology is a lot of children need things like a hearing aid. And if they don't have Medicaid, most private insurances, at least in the state of South Carolina, don't cover hearing aids whatsoever. And so I'm curious what has been, when I was in Georgia, some students, some children their private insurance wouldn't pay for their hearing aids. So they didn't have any personal hearing aids, but when they went to school, it was in their IEP. So they had school hearing aids, then they didn't have anything at home. And so it was like a mind boggling situation and extremely frustrating. So I'm wondering if it's a similar thing for you guys where, I mean, a hearing aid is an extremely expensive piece of technology and AAC device is an extremely, I'm assuming I'm going to learn more about that expensive piece of technology. So how do you guys navigate that world? And like, what are families doing right now? Sure. I mean, again, it's a lot of problem solving. Uh, so yeah. it's uh, very expensive. Yes. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, all of these apps are at least $250, $300. That's, wow. all, that's software. You know, that's on top of the hardware already. And if you have any type of warranty, a case, a tempered glass, a kickstand, a strap, you know, it's like, oh, okay, we just spent a thousand dollars very easily. So uh, we have, you know, funds within. So that's one part of it. So we are within the school district. We have some funds that we have and we it's based on student need. If it's in the IEP, you know, uh, by law, you have to provide that. That's part of our team's purpose, really, is justifying equipment and saying, okay, we need this, and this is the reason why. We need it for this specific kid, blah, 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 blah. So that's one part of it. And we have a lot of kiddos that we have to determine, does this make sense to go home? Like you're talking about, this is the school's hearing aids, but they didn't go home. So same deal. Does it make sense for this device to go home and go back and forth? So we have to look at those individual situations. But then another thing, we run into with that is broken iPads, lost iPads. A little brother grabbed it and threw it across the lawn or whatever. So we have to really kind of determine what what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. And that's hard. You know, and that's we talk about each of these individual situations. I feel like I'm on repeat there, but we have to look at these each individual situations to determine what makes sense. And so something that we started just a really last school year. So we weren't allowed in I I think this was kind of like a school district policy that people, we changed it over time. So we weren't really allowed to do any private funding. We couldn't do Medicaid funding for devices or anything like that. So we were purchasing them. And so the AT team pitched, it's like, hey, 
Well, I mean, these kiddos need this device, and then it becomes their device. Working with a company, tech support with that company, replacing devices. So then it can go back and forth. It can go home. It can be with them over the summer. Then it can come to school if the if the parents agree to that, and then they can have it all of the time. And we really started pushing more of the older kids too, because it's like, what is going to happen when they graduate? They're turning twenty one. They're graduating. So what are they going to do now? Yeah. You know, we've provided it this entire time. And this is all very complicated to figure out. Funding devices is not easy. So just good luck, parent. You know, it's (laughs) it's hard enough for for me to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Working within the field. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you need that piece of paperwork? Okay, I'm sorry. I'll sign and get it to you. I'm like, how am I still confused? (laughs) But anyway, so... I feel like it's unrealistic to expect parents to be able to navigate that world. So anyway, we're trying to help out with that and provide these Medicaid-funded devices. Private insurance sometimes covers it, but that's a battle in and of itself right there. At this point in time, we're doing all of it. We're, we're trying to fund it with the school funding. We're trying to do private devices where it makes sense. And again, we're looking at those individual situations to say, okay, what's the best thing that we can do for them? And then we start trying to do it. But yeah, no, that is, that's a big portion of my job is figuring all of that out and trying to get funding for all these different things. And if my other team members were here, they would be like, yep, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're always asking for things. We're always trying to get things to work because funding is always going to be an issue. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, as someone who's also in the technology world on the other end in the hearing spectrum, like it's, it's awful. It's, it's so yeah, bad it's that, hard. you know, oftentimes it's someone who needs it the most that you're having to fight the hardest to get it for them. So yeah, I definitely feel that struggle. And that's something that just actually happened. I mean, it's kind of timely that you're asking about it because Medicaid within South Carolina just decided to deny all DME AAC devices for no, no reason other than it is out of network. So if it wasn't uh, produced within South, yeah, yeah. well, it, it wasn't produced within South Carolina, then it's out of network. We don't produce any AAC, you know, speech generating devices within our state borders, you know, so it's all of it's going to be out of network. I'm not sure how that happened or why it happened, but we're getting it, getting it fixed, you know, as a kind of an aside working with Skisha, the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. You know, we have a VP of governmental affairs. We have a lobbyist that uh, is on staff. So we worked with them as well as just passionate AAC SLPs within the school, within the state, excuse me. Sharon Steed jumped in and was a big player in that. So we're not even, we're not done. We haven't put in a bow on it yet, but it's been a few weeks of just outright denials for no reason other than, you know, Adam Network. So that kind of threw an extra wrench into it, which was completely unnecessary. But uh, we're probably by this the end of this week or maybe may may bleed into you know next week but uh, we should be wrapping that up and where they're no longer doing that hopefully fixing that for the long term is like no we cannot we there are already too many barriers let's not add some more (laughs) absolutely you would think that you know medicaid might be old reliable in most of these situations they typically are there for these these kids that really need it so yeah that's that's extremely frustrating another thing i wanted to ask so for audiologists like myself. So I, honestly, since I've been in my current role, I don't think I've had any kiddos come into an appointment with an AAC device. I have seen it elsewhere, but I don't think I've had anyone come. And I've had a couple who mentioned that they are working with one, but for whatever reason, it's like not there when I see them. But for any audiologists or even SLPs 
who don't primarily work with AAC or audiology students or whoever who is in this realm who might brush up into this technology but not really specialize in it. Do you have any tips or advice or like things to look out for, things you wish these other professionals knew who might have it, you know, misconstrued or misunderstood? Sure. Like and if you're working like with a kiddo that has an AAC device, my, my suggestion would just be model. So you can model directly onto their device. And it's called, you know, the fancy research term is like aided language input or aided language stimulation. So something to think about, like, and I know you have a young child at home, a very young child, as I do as well. I was going to mention that. I was going to say anyone out there who thinks we sound tired or (laughs) anything like that, there's a reason. We both have a little one. I think yours is maybe three or four months. Five months, just turned five months. Yeah, and I've got a two-month-old. So you and I, we're barely, we're barely scraping by. But yeah, <laughs> right. go ahead. You're saying you're talking about modeling. Yeah, yeah. So for our little kiddos, obviously we're providing a lot of linguistic models for them. We're talking to them, we're reading books to them, we're singing songs, we're doing all these different things. For AAC users, they're really not getting those models for the way that they are communicating, right? So they are trying to have output through this device, but have they had any input? Hmm. to that device? Probably not. So you're really showing them how to do it and where to do it on their device. So how do you get this thing done? And so as you are talking, we typically want to model just above where they are currently expressively. So let's say that they are using one word at a time. That's kind of their MLU, just one word. They say a handful of things, just one. So maybe you want to speak to them and then you say, I don't know, I want to eat a hot dog or something. And then I would model on their device, want hot dog or eat hot dog or won't eat or something like that. So you don't have to model their entire, your entire complex sentence because that's going to be like, okay, this is way too much. Sure. But you're modeling it just above where they are currently expressively with their device. So that would be the thing that I would suggest to all these different team members that may not feel comfortable with AAC. So don't be afraid to get in there and model and kind of, and don't be afraid to mess up. Obviously, you don't know where things are. You have not developed those motor plans that we're talking about early. That's okay. They probably haven't either. Just kind of don't worry about looking stupid or anything like that. Just start messing around with it. And I'm sure that kid will appreciate it. And then they're like, oh, this is cool. They're using my device too. So modeling is probably the biggest takeaway that I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great piece of insight that I I wouldn't have thought. I feel like what's really funny is I feel like it's a great parallel because so I like my thought would be, well, I, I don't think I should touch this thing. This is probably like an expensive tablet and it's their thing and it's set up for them. And I don't think I should be messing with this, which I know my wife as a teacher or, you know, other people who I have a friend who's an SLP. They have somebody who has a hearing aid and they're like, I don't want to touch this thing. This thing's expensive. I can break it. I don't know. what I mean. ah. You know what I mean? So it's a really funny, but I would say, no, touch it. Like, listen to it. You got to check on it. You know what I mean? It's right. that exact same. That's funny. Mentality where it, it helps normalize it for them and it helps them, you know, kind of take, have a little bit more advocacy for themselves and be like, okay, other people know what this is. And, you know, this isn't so right. like strange to anyone else. They, they know what I'm going through. So I, I think that's a really great insight and something that. I think it, I'll probably will steal that uh, in the future because <laughs> I would be the same way. But I'm not touching the hearing aid. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I do not want to break <laughs> anything or make anybody mad. Well, with the well, I guess with the caveat of make sure if if they're a young child and their parents, there, make sure it's okay <laughs> with mm-hmm. the parent. 
you may anger the parent or something like that. So make sure you ask permission. So always before check. You, we should check. Yeah, always check. check. Let me say that. Uh, uh, well, always that goes check. both ways. Yeah, we'll always yeah, check. Always check. <laughs> but if it's okay, it's a definitely a good thing to, to model. Perfect. Perfect. Any other things you want to share? Oh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about speech and language songs. Just a really cool YouTube channel, a great resource for families and I guess children, you know, who are, and I'm not sure if it was specifically set up with an AAC in mind, or if it was just more developing spoken language skills. Some of the videos I've seen are, I don't really, I'm like, hmm, I wonder, because I know he does AAC, like, is this related to that? Or is this just, I'm thinking of like, he goes or you know it's like kind of like that language modeling so could you could you break down i guess how you started this what it is and and what your goals are yeah 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 and uh the main like piece to it is uh like core vocab core vocabulary song so targets that make sense for language development even if it's oral language obviously my main focus is aac so i was thinking about it within that lens so i was pushing into classrooms and that was kind of the initial impetus was I'm pushing into classrooms, I'm creating these lessons. So I would go in and actually play the songs, you know, with a guitar and sing. And then I would have like a foot switch. I was using a switch to rotate through the like slideshow. Oh, cool. And the teacher, one a teacher, this was a few years ago now, a teacher was like, I wish I could do this when you weren't here. I was like, oh, okay. And so then I started recording those songs and sending them. And honestly, initially, it was just easier to put it on YouTube. I can just share a link versus I got to send you an email with this file. I lost the file. Oh, the file didn't go through. So, oh, I can create a, a page. And then other, so I just was sending it to those individual teachers. And then other people started using it that I didn't know and commenting and sending me emails. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize and someone <laughs> else would actually look at this, right? You know, it just didn't really occur to me. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I started doing more of those. But um, the focus is really AAC and core vocabulary for the majority of it. But then I have like basic concept songs, I have articulation songs. So I'm kind of, whatever I'm kind of interested in doing, I would uh, jump out and do that. But my main focus in the future really is going to be AAC. So I'm going to redo a lot of those songs that I have that are just text. And I'm going to, re- and I'm starting that process. Now I'm working a ton over the summer to create a lot and then kind of drop them over the course of the next uh, school year. But they're going to be with uh, different symbol sets, you know, so use Unity, you know, PRC's uh, symbol set with a uh, lamp for life. Do those same songs, but now have those images there. So if a kiddo is using that gotcha. system, they can see and recognize familiar symbols. Their own symbol, and, yeah. Yeah. And then so it's kind of like core vocabulary, karaoke, so the kids can play along <laughs> with it. Or if we're That's talking great. about modeling graded language input, the paraprofessional, the teacher, the SLP can be in there modeling and showing them right along with the song. And it is meant to be kind of slow, redundant. So we have a lot of practices going through these pretty simple sentence structures. And I try to really focus on core vocabulary, words that are going to be used across context versus a bunch of fringe words that won't be used that often. Got it. Got it. It's really interesting. The first time I listened to it, I was like, "That what? what is going on here? Because it had a lot of views on YouTube. And I'm like, am I missing something here? The song's pretty good, but like, it's kind of simple in terms of the words here. But now sure, I, yeah, it yeah. makes a lot more sense in terms of the setup here, what you're modeling. Yeah, yeah, like before, yeah. I, I think the karaoke idea is really cool, letting them fill in the blanks. But they're also like, you know, singing along in their way. That's yeah. That's really cool. That's really exciting. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much again for for joining me. I mean, this is super eye-opening. This is something I've always been so interested in. I'm like, if I ever did the SLP track, I would have to do this because it's all the <laughs> technology and it's fun and the troubleshooting. It just sounds like definitely a lot of fun and you, you break it down really well. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.